morning. How are you? I'll give you three guesses what we're studying. Hey, well, yeah, so there you go. We're going to study the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, get it there. It's the second book of the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, they're along this wall. We're going to read a big chunk. And here's the thing. We're, we're kind of switching up a whole series. Usually, if we were going to go through a book, we would go line by line. But if we went through the book of Exodus line by line, we'd be here about two years. And so... I'd rather not spend two years just on that, but I do like studying books of the Bible. The Word of God was given that the church might believe, that it might grow, that it might be uh, this, this place, this bastion, pillar of truth. Uh, and so the book of Exodus, we're going to start in chapter 19. And if you're like, 19? It, that's on purpose. Now, my belief is that most of us, we pretty much understand the first 18 chapters, even if you've read them or not. Because we have movies like The Prince of Egypt, which I make fun of. It's a great movie. Go watch it. Uh, this is the whole Moses story is the beginning of Exodus. Uh, it's almost like an action movie. You got Moses, who's like this neglected, mistreated child who's almost murdered, and then he's floated in a basket, and then the Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and he's raised in this foreign household, and then he grows up, and all of a sudden there's like rabid frogs and death angels, and like you're just like, Right? And it all ends up in this great moment where, you know, Charleston Heston slams his rod down and the Red Sea parts, and then the people of God go free. And this is the beginning of Exodus. Chapter 19, really from the, ne- like the next 20 chapters of Exodus, is God revealing himself to his people. And he's showing them who he is. He's showing him his, their, his presence to his people. He's giving them laws. He's, giving, he's like actually having real-life discussions with Moses. And so what I want to learn is I want to be a church. I don't just want to study the word. I want to be a church that lives out what Moses lived out, what the people, the people had the presence of God in front of them. And I want to be a church that knows and lives and experiences the presence of God all the time. We just walk in it. We live in it. We cry out for it. And when people meet us, when they meet you, when you go out to your jobs or to your schools, they're like, something's different about you. And you're like, yeah, I've been hanging out with Jesus. And the presence of God would go with you as the people. And so uh, this book really, uh, I know if you wanted to, I like to summarize things. I'm a big like summarizer. The book of Exodus is God was bringing Israel out of slavery so they might know him. So they might know him. Now it's not just, hey, let's get you out of slavery. Let's get you into the promised land. Let's get you to be a people. It was, no, I'm, I'm rescuing you from slavery so you might be mine. Sounds kind of like what Jesus did for you and me. That I'm not just getting you out of sin, I'm giving you, I'm not saving you just from something, I'm saving you to something. You have been saved into, unto, for the Lord of hosts. And so what you're going to hear, there's, some, there's a, lot of, a lot of similarities between the adventures of the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, their chains being broken, God delivering them miraculously, Christians, Jesus dying on the cross, freeing you from sin, filling you with the Holy Spirit is a miraculous act. And he saved you from all that stuff, not so you could just be like, well, I guess I'm free now, but that you might walk with, know be with the God of everything. And, and so let's, let's be people that know and experience the presence of God, and let's learn really how God revealed himself in this book. So in Exodus chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to read to verse 20, so it's going to be a, a, a large chunk. But this is narrative. This is story. This is what actually happened and how God revealed himself. So you have the people in the wilderness, God gathers them together, and he says to Moses, I'm going to show up on this mountain, and you're going to see this. And it's not typically 
how I feel like we view God. In fact, we pray a lot at this church that God's presence would show up. We do. We pray it a lot that you wouldn't meet a man-made thing. You would meet God here. Now, let me ask you, after we read this, if this picture matches what you want, okay? Exodus 19, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The word of the Lord. There, I mean, this is this crazy scene, right? It's kind of scary a little bit. And so when we pray for the presence of God, we're praying for that God. Like this thunderous mountain shake, mountain shaking, fire breathing. Like it's crazy, crazy. Stuff's happening that like we don't really, we don't connect with our God we serve. So just before we continue, I just want to pray. Uh, I want to pray that God would just teach us and, and two, that we would be receptive. And so Lord, thank you for your word. I could stop right now because I believe it's sufficient and that you, you are a good teacher. And so if Holy Spirit teach us. I pray these words would not just be idle, that they wouldn't just be something we hear with our heads, but you would transform our hearts, that you would silence every voice save yours, Jesus. Thank you for your church bought with your blood. And in these next few minutes, Lord, I, we, I submit these are your people. I put them before you. And you have called us to be a people of your presence. Help us to be hungry for that. Help us to see you today in Jesus' name, amen. So think about it for a moment if you had been there. There's lightning, there's some kind of loud trumpet being blown. Uh, there's already rules been set that if you even go in the perimeter, you or your little fluffy or whoever, you have to either shoot or stone that animal or that person, right? Like those are the rules that are set up. He sets even other rules. He's like, don't go near a woman. So not only does it affect like, hey, your livestock might get killed if they go into the presence of the Lord, but even you men, you just stay away from your wives for a little bit. Consecrate yourselves is this idea of set, yourself, set aside your hearts, your life, your, they're even washing their clothes. And for three days, they prep to meet God. 
Now, I could say, when, before you came here today, how long did you prep? Did you get real, I mean, did you clean your clothes for three days? Did you say, woman, stay away from me. I got to go be with the Lord. I got business to do, right? No, see, so we, we kind of don't even connect these same things, but here's the God of everything saying to Moses, Moses, consecrate the people, tell them to prepare their hearts, because I'm going to come. And when I come, I am holy, and I am pure, and I will kill, I, they will die if they come into my presence. And so, really, it's kind of a scary thing, but God is setting the tone of how his people will relate to him, and so he's kind of like, here I am. Now, they had seen his miraculous works, but this is God coming down on the mountain. And so their reaction is in verse 16, all the people in the camp trembled and they believed, right? You're like, no kidding. No kidding. You got God shaking mountains and talking in thunderous voices. Yes, I, be I believe. And some of us say, like, this is what you see, that God is, a, God is a God that is so massively awesome that if you ever really see him, you tremble with awe. And that is my prayer for you today. That I don't want to give you, I'm not giving you law, I'm not giving you rules. Christianity is so less about, here, go do this thing, and it's so much more about, go behold this thing and be transformed. And so I want you to behold the glory, the holiness, and the weight of who God is. And so here's the question, though. If God is this massive, if God is this huge, if God is this powerful, does our response to him match that? Does your response to the God, I'll say, I say with my mouth, I love you, Lord. Does my response to this God match this picture I just read? Does the amount of pursuit of holiness of my life, the way that I try to kill sin in my life, the way that I repent, the way that I love, the way that I pray, the way that I worship, the way that I use my money, does it, does it match who he is? And if that's not a convicting thought to you, it is a convicting thought to me. And so I, wanna, I want that to match. And here's the thing, and this is as gently, I don't think a lot of our lives match the immensity that we just read. But it should. And so what he's going to do, he's, he's going to reveal who he is. He's going to kind of remind them a couple ways of how he's loved them. And then I, I'm going to challenge you after that. And so one of the very first things, and we actually didn't even read it, is he's going to remind his people of their salvation in him. And so one of the first ways, if you're like, well, I want to see God like that, I would think God would say to you today that in Christ, he's going to remind you of the salvation that is offered to you. Now, verse 4, if you go to verse 4 of chapter 19, we didn't even read it, I'm going to read it. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles', eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession. I, everything about that, right? God leads them through the Red Sea, out into the wilderness, and he goes, now you're my people. Now you're going to obey my voice. Now you are my treasured possession. What God does right off the bat is he says, hey, I want you to think about how I took you out of the jaws of Egypt. I want you to think about how I saved you from the Red Sea. So I will do the same thing to you, Christian. I want you to remember who you were before Jesus, pre-Jesus. I want you to remember what God took you out of and brought you into. I want you to remember that day and then rejoice in it every day until the day you see him face to face. Our God saved us. And not just like he's saying, you shall be my treasured possession, 
If you go read 1 Peter, one of the things that God says is you're, you're his people. You're a holy nation. Like, we are a people that are called the Lord's. And so I, I think God would say today, do you realize that, man, I, I'm reminding you that I, I saved you. Now, I don't know if you have anybody in your life who you would call your treasured possession. It feels a little gallmish, a little bit. Like, precious, like I, we don't talk like that, right? But there's a few people in your life that I bet if I threatened them, you would probably mama bear me pretty hard, right? Kids, wives, like if I got aggressive towards them, you'd be like, do you want a throat punch? This is the, this is the idea of God going, you are my treasured possession. And now there's two, two things about that statement. Treasured, which means I love, it's worth something to me, it's invaluable to me, and then possession, mine. I make this point all the time. When God looks at you, Christian, blood-bought, Holy Spirit-filled, lovers of Jesus, he says, mine. The God of everything says, mine. You're his. Which should, the weight of that should just be like, oh, that's amazing, right? Because I, I know I talk about my kids way too much, but when I say those are mine, I, I will run in front of a car, I'll fight a tiger, I'll fight a liger. I don't even care what, I'm, I'll fight it, Right? I, I'll, I'll die, I have already made the choice when I, Abe was born that if I had to die so he could live, I would do it. Who else did that for us? Jesus did. And so he's going, remember people of God, remember the salvation, remember the works of the Lord, praise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you are his treasured possession. This is who our God is. But he also, he gives them a glimpse of his absolute holiness. And in verse 10 to 13, in verse 10, he says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. So not, like, there can't even be any trace of defilement on them. There can't be any impurities on them. If they even go up to the line that's around the mountain and tow it, everybody around is supposed to be like, let's kill that guy. That, does that seem a little crazy to you? Like, if we were at the door when you got here and we were like, ma'am, you got a little smudge on your pants, we're going to have to stone you now. Attendance is going to tank pretty fast, right? But this is what God says to his people. He's like, get ready, because when I show up, I want to be with you, but because of who I am, you'll die if you're not holy, if you're not pure. Now, here's what we usually do in this culture with God. We go, well, God, could you just not do that? Could you just show up how I'm comfortable with? Could you just show up with what would make me happy? But no, this is who God is. What you see that God is holy and his holiness is no joke. God's holiness will kill you. And so even throughout the Bible, like when Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, if you go read, he sees God in a vision, right? He gets caught up in heaven and he sees the Lord and what he hears the angel saying is holy, holy, holy. Now, for us English speakers, that doesn't mean a lot because we know the word holy. Oh, they said it three times. But in Hebrew, if you say a word three times over about someone, that's like, he's, he's three times like saying, you're the ultimate holy. You're the only holy. You're so completely, perfectedly holy, we have to say it three times because we don't even know how else to say it. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, it's like, you ever play with a black light? Like, I don't even know why. Last week, I was sitting in my office. 
Austin ran in my office with a black light, and he's like, let's see what crap we can find on your walls. And I was like, that's weird. I think Levi was with him. Um, and they're like, ew, look at this spot on your wall. Somebody spit on there. Some, I don't even know. It's just, have you ever used a black light? You ever use a black light in a hotel room? And everyone was like, oh, right? So, right, you know why. I'm not going to explain it to you. Ask your parents. Um, black lights reveal imperfections that things that you, you, you couldn't see before, right? And so when you come into the present, when you see God for who he is, immediately you become very aware of the imperfections that you have. When you see God for his holiness and his power and his might, you're like, woe is me, which is actually what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, woe is me, I can't even be here, I'm about to die. Except our God is a God of grace and a God of love and a God that wants his people to be with them and has made a way that they can come in clean. So all those imperfections that the black like or the word of God and the spirit of God show off in your life, he's going, I paid for those. And so realize what this means. When, if God opened up the ceiling and you looked him in the face right now, you would die. Gone. You'd be dead. And so we serve a God who is so utterly holy and we are so utterly saturated with sin that, that we can't even approach him without him making a way. And he says this to his people, not only did I save you, but look at how holy I am, but I want you to come close to me. You hear the same invitation in the cross of Jesus Christ for you. I want to save you. I've made a way for your salvation. I am completely holy. God, this same God is still completely holy, and I've made a way for you to come close to me. There's a third way that God kind of introduces himself to his people, and it's going to seem like kind of common sense, but I, it's in there, so I want to bring it up. He shows them through powerful displays of nature. Do you understand there's like lightning bolts going off, and there's like smoke coming out of the mountain or around God, and there's, this, there's earthquakes happening. The whole mountain is shaking. This is actually not only in Exodus, but throughout the Bible, it's going to go, look at creation, how great our God is. Like, look up at the stars at night and stand in awe that this same God that spoke those out into being looked at you, created you, and has called you into a relationship with him. I mean, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. So uh, Romans 1.20 is going to talk about the beauty and complexity of creation and that we can see the eternal power of God in it. All those things, like these big, huge things. When you look through a telescope, declare the glory of God. Did you also know that when you look like through a microscope, the things you see there would declare the glory of God? Like your DNA, for example. I don't know a lot about DNA. I had to look it up. But one DNA strand, which you can't even see with your eyeballs, apparently has enough information in it to like store 1,500-page books. So just one strand of it. And God knit you together and made you on purpose and has called you to himself. Okay, let's go out of the human. A caterpillar, right, has 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head. So not only in the heavens does our God go, look how powerful I am, but in how your eyeball is formed and your iris moves, God goes, see? See how powerful and creative and good I am? And, and so... He's a God you literally can't exaggerate, and I love that. And this is why we, we're not going to talk about well, The second commandment, 
literally God says, God, God, I don't make any images. Don't make any graven images. Don't even make any images of him because even if you were to make an image that you're like, this represents God to me, it would be so less than what he is. And so this is how God introduces himself to his people with fire and mountains and rules and like laws and like Moses come up, but you better get ready to come up. So once again, what would it have been like to to have been there? And I think we would have been scared. I think we would have been holding our kids back. Anybody have any like three, four-year-old kids that all of a sudden they'll just run? Right? And you're like, this isn't like Walmart parking lot. This is like, stay back. Our God is showing up. And so does your response to God match his immensity? Does your response to the God you say you love and I'm so, I, I love that you love him. Does your, your response and the way you live and the way you love and the way you pray and the way you worship and the way you live, everything, does it match who he is? Because repeatedly what's about to happen, and we're going to look at it, is the people of God are going to meet with God this day in chapter 19. And then they're going to forget. And then they're going to get lazy. And then a couple of them are going to do things that God expressly tells them not to do. And then bad things are going to happen. And then they're going to repeat that for a while. For a while, they're just going to be like, God's going to be like, oh, I'm gracious and I'm good and I'll save you out of that. And then they're going to be like, oh, we totally forgot what God told us to do back there. And they're going to sin against the God who's called them to be holy. So does your response to God match his awesome immensity? And there's two ways I really feel like most kind of stand out for me. I'll go for me. I'll preach to me for like the next 10 minutes, okay? But maybe for you. Uh, one of the ways is, is what I'll call casual devotion. So here's a God, full power, full glory, all the power in the world to create all things that has made man for himself. And he goes, hey, I want to know you. And, I, and, and we go, I'll give you Sunday. And maybe I'll give you a, a fluttering thought at dinner when I'm praying for my peas to bless my body. Maybe. And I'll try to be kind of upright and moral because I feel like that's somewhere in the good book. But I'm never going to give you my full heart. I'm never going to be fully devoted to you. I'm always going to hold back a little bit because what if I miss out on something that this world has? And he's going, well, I created all of it and it won't satisfy you. So here's one of the ways that I see is that we have a God who goes, I'm, I'm this big. I'm this glorious. I'm, I'm able to save and satisfy you in ways the world never can. And we go, ah. Uh, that's kind of, that's okay. We treat him like, almost like an assistant. Now, assistants are people you hire to do menial tasks, and then when they don't do it, you know what you do? You fire them. God, I need you to get me out of this trouble. I need you to f- save me from my financial strife. And then when he does, okay, now you can go back to the hole I put you in. And so this is, this is what you're going to see the people of God do. And since I feel like we roll in the same kind of like, hamster wheel with them we get really close to God and we're like thank you for saving me and then we're like now I got it from here that must never be God is to be sought more than anything else and I hands down I can tell you that that is what is he's to be desired he's the best thing in the universe when you get him you get life I'll give you two two verses Psalm 42 1 as a deer pants for flowing stream so pants my soul for you oh God now here's the thing as Christians, we have cruci- like murdered this verse. You probably went to a Christian bookstore. They had a little painting. It had a deer just fluttering over a stream, and you were like, oh, 
isn't that precious. Put that on the wall, right? But do you hear the angst in there? Do you hear like, I want God so bad. Like I'm panning for him. Now, if you meet a Christian like that, usually in America, if you meet a Christian that's like, I don't want anything else. I just want the Lord. I want to be in his presence. I want to seek him. I want to know him. I want to walk with the Lord, my God. I want to drink deep of him. You go, can you settle down a little bit? You're making me feel a little weird. You're making me feel like a little, like I, I don't like, that's a little too extreme. But no, like Psalm 63, 1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. When's the last time you talked about God like that? When's the last time you were like, I don't care if I get anything else. I don't care if my reputation tanks. I don't care if my finances aren't that great. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I want the Lord. Because you can hear their intensity, and then so often, and I'll, I'll, I'll do confession, I, I, I go casual way too quick. Like there's moments where I'm like hungry, and I'm satisfied in the Lord, and I'm like, more Lord, more Lord. And then every other week, it's like, what's on Netflix? So we have to fight that, right? We have to fight that, because it's almost like we're in a spiritual battle. It's almost like they have these sin natures. It's almost like, hey, we got to crucify our flesh and pursue what's better. So do you see any casual devotion in your heart or your life? And then two, lethargic worship. So God shows up on the mountain, and the Bible says in Exodus that they trembled. Now, I don't know what you know what trembling looks like. It's usually, I can't even do it. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of quaking. It's a lot of like, oh, boy, this is about to go bad for me. It's a lot of low, uh, maybe even a little prostrating of ourselves. They, they trembled before God, and they believed his words is what the Bible says. And, and so when you see in the Bible a people catching a glimpse of the immensity of God and you watch their reaction, I often think, and I watch, I'm like, all right, I watched us worship today. I was in the back. I listen to how we sing, and I see people check their watches, and I see people yawn. Does that not speak to you? That maybe, and I think, okay, but if these people see the immensity of God, and they're like, we're going to wash our clothes for three days, we're not going to have sex for three days, and we're going to keep our kids back from this line because we don't want to have to stone them to death, and we come in, and we're like, God, I'm here. Right? Do we see the disconnect? How lethargic our worship is and how deserving of our God is of, I mean, just worship that is just abandoned. And so the intensity with which you worship or talk about something shows how much you value it. You know that? Like the things you talk about during the day are the things you love. So if I sat with you at lunch tomorrow and I was like, tell me what you're passionate about. The thing that you could talk about for two hours is the thing you love. And here's the thing. None of those things are, not, not none of those things, some of those things. Not all those things are bad. I could talk to you about CrossFit for probably two hours. And if you know me, you're like, he could, <laughs> right? I don't think that's sinful, but I, I, I know I want God more than I want to be a good CrossFitter. And so here's the, here's the thing. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely, the most obvious fact escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, 
walkers praising the countryside, fans praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, cars, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, I've never used the word personages in my life, uh, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, and even sometimes politicians or scholars. All the things that our world praises. They wouldn't call it praise, right? They'd be like, you got to eat at this restaurant. They have the best burritos, man. That is an overflow of something they enjoy. Now, if we're hanging out with God and we are in his presence and he is the best, highest thing in the world and he created us to be satisfied by him, how much more should praise erupt out of our lives and our mouths every con- I, all the time? You should be the annoying one at the lunch table. Can I just tell you what God did for me? <laughs> like, you should just be goofy about it. But maybe we haven't really seen him Maybe we haven't beheld who he really is. Maybe we haven't spent enough time at his feet. Maybe we're not people of his presence and why praise isn't issuing out of our mouths. And so if we've seen God, I believe we would tremble in our belief, in our worship, and in our obedience. And that trembling's not like you're about to get slapped by, by your dad. Trembling is this idea of like a holy fear. A, a, a respect, a love, an honor, a reality that our God is so holy, he burns up sin. And so to come into his presence unprepared and not washed by the blood of Jesus will kill you. And so we would tremble in our belief. Like we would come into this place so just like prepped that we're almost trembling that what we're about, I don't know about you guys, but when I get up here and I go, Here's what God of everything's like. I almost wait some weeks for him to kill me. But then his grace, he's like, but I, but I saved you. I'm like, it's weighty, man. There's a trembling in my soul some days because I'm telling you the God of everything, and I know half of you aren't going to listen. And you're going to come in, and you're going to sing a couple good songs and drink some good coffee and I'm going to tell you you need to repent and give your life to Christ and be transformed by the presence of God and you're going to go oh that get that again <laughs> got to get to my enchilada and so all I can do is pray and say here is the power and the holiness and the weight of who our God is it is not a joke it is infinitely internally valuable and so do you tremble in your, your worship even? Or are you yawning and checking your watch because I just don't like that song? Well, good thing it's not about you. And then in your obedience, here's the thing about obedience. You have to do it even when you don't want to. Obedience is hard. You shouldn't always be like, obedient. I'm obedient. I'm not obeying. That's not, that's not a word. I'm obeying, it's fun, I'm frolicking in a field with the Lord. No, obedience sometimes is, my flesh is like, go this way. And I'm like, cut that out, I gotta obey the Lord. And it's hard, and it's gut-wrenching, and it's sometimes full of tears. But the Lord is worth it. So some of you, and this is the thing, like some of you, you have put God in such a, you're, it's so casual with God that you need to repent. Like, I believe God, Christ saved you. I believe he loves you. I believe he has so much more for you. And where you would be willing to go, all right, God, I want to go 100% in with you. I want you to invade my life. I don't want you on just Sunday. I want you all week. 
do what you want. Just that prayer alone, I'm like, whoa, that makes me excited. And, and then some of us, we need to repent because we came in here and we were like, I, I am going to go get my worship. And to stand before a holy God who has angels singing to him, holy, 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 is the Lord God all the time, and then come in and be like, I'm singing these songs, but they're really for me so that I can feel good about myself, so that I can go live my life. Does, that also calls out for repentance. And so, once again, here's, here's the hope. When we see the immensity of God, everything changes. And so I said right in the beginning of this, my prayer is not that you would be like, well, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a chart. And I'm, I'm going to chart out and gold star my life. I'm going to be so devoted. I am going to systematically structure my life that I, I have to follow him the right way. That's not what I'm after. I'm asking for you to pray one prayer today. Lord, open up my eyes to see who you are. Invade this place with your presence. I guarantee you, if you see Jesus, if you see the presence of God for what it is, your heart, it will be transformed. And so if you want to see God this way, the Bible is going to make it clear that it's all in Jesus, man. Like I'm going to stare at Jesus, study Jesus, proclaim Jesus, trust Jesus, sit at Jesus' feet. Because John 1.14 says, in Jesus we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son of the father. So if you want to see what that God is like and how he treats people, look at Jesus. And so that's how we're going to end today. Uh, we're going to end in some worship and some prayer, and it's going to be kind of quiet. In fact, I'm not, this is where, no music for like the next few minutes. You're like, no music? Yeah, because you don't need like a minstrel. You need to run to God and ask him to open your eyes. And so if you'd stand up, and I'm only having you stand up, not because it's like, now we're more holy. I'm having you stand up. So that you're active, so that you're engaged, so you're like, I'm standing, you are, you're not standing before me, you're standing before God, and I'm giving you to him. And so I'm going to pray that God would come into this place and deal with you, and me. That's a little more forceful than I wanted it to be. And all I want you to pray is if you felt the Holy Spirit convict you about being casual in your devotion to the Lord, you would repent. And where you felt yourself being like, man, I have given in to sin, that you would repent. Where you feel like, man, I've been worshiping me and my experience, you would repent. And then you would cry out, God, open my eyes. That's my only thing, okay? So I'm going to pray. And then when I say church, pray. And when I say amen, just get after Jesus. And if that means you hit the floor on your knees, great. Jesus. pause before you and you're the holy God of everything and I do I pray that you would invade this room that you are most welcome here that these are your people and that you would deal with them you would call them out of themselves and God I love that when I freely confess my sin you forgive and so Lord forgive us for being casually devoted Forgive us for being lethargic in worship. And so we set ourselves before you, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you would, you would stir our hearts and our affections to love you better. And more than any of that, Jesus, that you would open up the eyes 
of all the believers in this space. You'd open up the eyes of every man and woman in this room to see who you are. And so church, pray. Jesus, that if you, O oh God, kept a record of sins, like who could stand? But with you, there's mercy. So thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood that, that paid for my sin and my guilt and my shame. Thank you that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, but that we must come. And so I pray, God, that you would move us past casual devotion and into fully following Jesus. 
Holy Spirit, would you stir us up to love you better? We need your boldness. We need your power. We need your help. And so church, if you just keep, you kind of stay in your place of prayer. We're just going to pray for one another. But there's a, a thing that popped in my head, and I feel like it might be from the Lord, is that if you're in here and you're like, man, I have sinned to confess. Uh, here's my challenge, is that you would actually confess that out loud to another human being. But takes it from a place of like, I'm going to deal with this on my own, to I'm going to deal with this before God and with my brothers and my sisters. And so if you're a member of our prayer team or an elder and you want to come up front, I want you, if you're in here and you just feel this thing from the Lord leading you, like, first of all, they're just going to pray for you. They're not going to be like, we got a sinner right here. They're just going to grab you and pray God would open your eyes and free you. And if you have questions, you would ask them. If you have sins to confess, confess them. And then they're going to lead you biblically and pray over you, all right? So prayer counselors, get up here. Uh, I'm going to pray again, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to pray for somebody else in this room. And some of you are like, I am not. Fine, fight me, but that's fine. What I want to have happen is I want you to grab somebody else and just pray that God would overflow in their life, that you would, they would see the Lord. And so each of these people, I, yeah, I can claim, we've trained them. They're safe. Uh, and so what we're doing is, I believe this brother over here was brought to pray with this brother over here. And this sister right here was probably supposed to pray with this sister over here. And you don't need me, you need him. And so let me pray. And then I just, there's going to be a lot of movement coming forward and pursuing Jesus. Jesus, thanks that this is your body. This is church. And so we bring to you, God, all of our struggles. And I believe there are many. We bring our sin. We bring our temptation. And none of it surprises you. But God, I don't want to hold it anymore. And I pray there'd just be this holy unrest where we don't want to hold it anymore. We want to give it to you and be free. And so God, help us to love each other well in this room. If there's any awkwardness that you would just, you'd overcome it all. And so help us to lift each other up, to run to you together. In Jesus' name, amen. So church, match up. If you need to pray up front, get up front. No one's moving, but I'm just going to stay here and go, move, pray with somebody. It's going to be awkward. You're probably going to sweat. It's okay. Grab somebody. Be like, hey, my name is, or hey, I'm going to pray for you. Move, go, yes, yes, you can do it, you can do it, there it is, I like you guys. Prayer counselors are up front, and I'm serious about confessing.